I was in one of the last groups to sign up for college classes right before my freshman year of college. And so because of that, I got a 7.30 a.m. English class Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you didn't take many English classes in college or you don't remember what it was like, you cannot miss them. Even at big universities, English classes are typically small, which means they have a strict attendance policy. So three days a week, my first semester as a freshman, I got up very early and walked to class. And because of that, I also had a break in between that 7.30 a.m. class and the rest of my classes that morning. And so for some reason, still unknown to me today, I decided, decided to start reading the Bible and studying scripture during that break every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I had never done this with this much consistency before. Many of you know that I was raised here at CPC, so I got and was taught a lot about scripture. We had a lot of scripture lessons growing up. I was well-versed in green felt board Bible stories and read my lessons as a student leader every Wednesday night, but I had never really studied scripture before. And then all of a sudden, in Abel Hall at the University of Nebraska, very early in the morning, I started reading. God pulled me into his word, and I was hooked. The only thing that I had to offer in those moments to him was consistency. Honestly, God did the rest. He was the one that opened my eyes and my ears to his life to his character. He started to transform my thoughts. He started to reshape my attitudes and my behaviors through his words. Because God's word has the power to reshape attitudes and reorder thinking. We've been talking through the book of Ephesians over the past few weeks and learning that when we make space for God, when we surrender to him, our lives become aligned with him. Our attitudes are reshaped and our thinking is reordered. So if you have an Ephesians journal Bible, please go ahead and open it to chapter four. If you do not have one of these, uh, just grab the pew Bible and feel free to mark that up and write in that as we, as we read, starting in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth. With his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with someone else in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we sift through this passage, I wanted to show you what I have been studying and what it looks like um, in my journal Bible and invite you as we walk through this passage to underline things, mark things up, circle, square, highlight, draw arrows, write in the margins. Those things that convict, challenge, or encourage you. Imitating Christ and walking in love with one another insists that we turn towards God and away from the things of this world. It welcomes us to put off our old way of living and invite the Holy Spirit to renew our whole selves. That's what this passage is talking about. It's not about how strong or how good your willpower is, but what surrender and renewal through the Spirit looks like in our lives. And through that, our actions and attitudes and behaviors are realigned, reordered, and reshaped. This passage is extremely practical and relevant and applicable to the tensions that we sit in every single day between wanting to live for ourselves and following Jesus. It wasn't until I was in college that I got a deeper taste of what it looks like to turn towards God and turn away from the things of this world, to invite Jesus to actually go to work in my life. That's what reading scripture and inviting the Holy Spirit into my daily rhythms did. They reshaped my behavior and reordered my thinking. Verses 22 and 23 tell us to put off our old self. It says to walk away from the deceitful desires that corrupt us, those things that lie to us and tell us, this is where my identity could be found. These are the good things to do that will fill me up. Those deceitful desires that tell us that this is where life's happiness is really found. And instead, to be renewed in our minds and to put on a new self created to be like God. I did a Beth Moore Bible study uh, when I was in college. I've done several since. Um, where she talked about changing our want-tos. She challenged us to invite the Holy Spirit into our want-tos, our desires, that which we want to do, so that it could become aligned with Jesus. When the beginning of this passage talks about putting off our old self, Paul's talking about changing our want-tos. The way of living for ourselves begin, belongs to our former way of life when we didn't know Jesus, when we didn't have the Holy Spirit. 
And we are invited instead into a renewal of our spirit through our minds. The Greek word for renewal in this passage is ananeo. And it specifically is talking about the mind. And it means to renovate, to reform. There is activity. There's a reciprocal force at play. It requires activity. We have already heard in this sermon series that salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. There is nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven. There is nothing we can do to earn a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is that way. His life, death, and resurrection provides that relationship with God. And all we need to do is say yes to him. You don't have to get all cleaned up. You don't have to have been to church a certain number of times. You don't have to know what the Bible says or what it doesn't say. You can choose to trust Jesus right now where you are at. And it is after that decision that Jesus goes to work at transforming our lives. These passages are the passages that are hard because it's in these passages where we are asked to truly surrender our lives, to surrender our want-tos, and to allow the newness of Christ to be formed in us and to go out from us. So then Paul gets really practical. When he's talking about what it looks like, he says how we speak to each other, what we do with our emotions, how we work, and how we respond to God matters. Sometimes when a pastor gets up here to preach, you could think that he or she is an expert then on the topic, that they've got all of this figured out. And I stand here telling you this morning that could not be farther from the truth. I have been wrestling with these things for years Specifically, that first one, how we speak to each other. The Holy Spirit is constantly working in me. I have been getting in trouble for what comes out of my mouth since I was two years old. When my parents brought my sister home from the hospital, I looked at her and looked at my parents and said, when is she going back? And it hasn't stopped since. I need the Holy Spirit to be renewing my mind so that what comes out of my mouth is aligned with Jesus. Paul says to speak truth. He starts with truth, that we are to put off falsehood and put on truth. One of the first social lessons we learn as children is not to tell a lie. And I feel like all of us would agree we should not tell lies. But falsehood in this context is not just a blatant lie. Falsehood in this context refers to whatever is not what it seems to be. The first thing Paul tells us to do when we want to imitate Christ and walk in love with one another is to put away whatever is not what it seems to be and instead to speak truth it talks about this because we are members one of another. I love the word play there. 
We are members one of another. We belong to each other. It is in reference specifically to the body, saying that in Christ, we are all connected to each other. But it can be really hard to turn away from this falsehood and how our world elevates it. There's a driving force right now in society that promotes falsehood, that tells us and gives us permission to slightly alter and change that what is true and make it seem like it's not. Seven in 10 Americans have it. 90% of 18 to 29 year olds rely on it. Social media drives this need for us to slightly alter what is true. Psychologists say that people tend towards presenting a socially desirable, positive self-view online. There's this desire to look a certain way, to impress others, to keep up appearances, but I don't think Paul is impressed by that, and I don't think God is either. When there's a therefore in Scripture, I was always taught we need to ask what it's there for. In light of putting off our old self and renewing our mind and putting on our new self, you'll put away falsehood and speak truth. Now, I don't think that this means that all of us are going to commit this morning to getting off social media for good. But I do think it means that we ask ourselves, are my posts, are my words in line with who Jesus calls me to be as his disciple? And if it's not social media for you, ask yourself, what is it that tempts me to alter the truth and make it be seem like what I'm saying or what I'm presenting to the world is not what it should be. Paul continues talking about what it looks like to live a life aligned with Jesus and how we speak to people by saying there should be no corrupt talk, backbiting, profanity, slander, gossip, shouting, bitterness from us. Friends, our words matter to each other. And it's so common for these manners of speeches to come out of our mouths sometimes without any thought. When was the last time you were bitter with a family member or lied to a coworker? When was the last time you shouted profanity at the driver in front of you or gossiped about a kid at school? When was the last time you made a cutting comment about a mom who does things differently than you? When was the last time you spoke with disgust about a neighbor who voted or will vote differently than you? What if God's people look different? What if God's people spoke differently? What if we actually let the Holy Spirit renew our minds so that we could imitate Christ and only speak words that are good for encouraging others and building others up? What could change in our businesses, in our schools, in our homes, at our clubs, in our world? If those of us who profess Christ and participate in his renewing work, let him reorder and reshape what comes out of our mouths. The book of James says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
This, this is how we walk in love with each other. This is where we can be kind and tenderhearted when we listen first. When we listen with the intent to hear, with the intent to love and not hate. When we seek to understand, even if someone talks, acts, thinks, learns, lives differently than we do. Our words have power. Imitating Christ and walking in love with one another insists that we turn away from the things of this world and turn towards God, letting him renew our whole selves. It's hard to do this when our emotions so often drive us. Paul addresses one specific emotion, anger. He doesn't say not to get angry. He says that when we're angry, do not sin and do not let it linger. In verse 26, there are actually two different Greek words for the word anger. The first one at the beginning of the verse is argizo, and it means to be provoked to anger. The second one is paragizmas at the end of the verse, and it means indignation, exasperation, and wrath. The fact that Paul uses two different words here shows that there is a lot within this one emotion, but that all of it can come before God, and God wants to meet us in that place. Both words deal with provocation, either blatantly or secondarily. And I don't think that Paul would say that the answer to our anger problems is to get rid of the situation or the person that provokes us to anger. I think issues with anger are far more internal than they are external. Anger is not reliant on a situation because there's always going to be a situation. So let's let the Holy Spirit renew us in that. When he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he's saying, lean in, move toward, and reconcile. God will meet you there. The third area of life that Paul talks about in this passage is how we work. Verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. A lot of us might look at this verse and skip over that part because we don't blatantly steal. But have you ever cheated on a project to get a better grade? Or exaggerated numbers on a spreadsheet to make it look like you had higher sales earnings? Claimed ownership of an idea that wasn't yours to impress someone? In my sorority in college, we had this thing called test files. It's where you could take your old tests and your own notes and put them in a file that was specifically for that class. And then the next semester, the other women in the sorority could come and use those to study. About halfway through my sophomore year, my best friend came into my room and she said that she had been really convicted about using the test files, that it wasn't honest. And I said, oh, I'm not. But as we talked about it and she explained it to me, I sat there and I became convicted. 
I wasn't learning with my own hands. I wasn't doing honest work. I was cheating because it was easier. And the Holy Spirit used something as seemingly insignificant as test files to realign my life. Doing honest work with your own hands. And then finally, Paul talks about how we respond to God. He says in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The New Living Translation says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. The Contemporary English Version says, Don't make God's Spirit sad. The Spirit makes you sure that someday you will be free from your sins. You are created in the image of God. Whether you know Jesus intimately or not, he knows you intimately. He created you. He formed you. He loves you. And he died for you. He wants to live with you. And so Paul challenges us that aligning our lives with him means treating him with honor and respect and love in return. This entire passage addresses how we speak to each other, what we do with our emotions, how we work, and how we respond to God. It invites us into a renewal process in all those areas that imitating Christ and walking in love with one another insists that we turn towards God and turn away from the things of this world. These things are hard. And Paul didn't write this to us as a checklist to master in order to be a Christian. We don't do this on our own. The point is that the Holy Spirit comes into us and renews us and goes to work. We bring our lives. We bring consistency. We bring an open heart to surrender to Jesus and to the work of the Holy Spirit so that he goes to work at realigning, reshaping, and reordering us. What does this look like in your lives today? Right where you're at. What does this look like? Where is there wrestling going on in your spirit? Where is God whispering in your ear? Take the courageous step towards Jesus to let him work in your life, renewing and realigning. If you don't know Jesus that intimately this morning, maybe that's where you start. Keep asking questions. Keep growing. Let him be a part of your life. Give this whole faith thing, this whole Jesus thing, a chance. If you do follow Jesus, our whole lives matter. The response to knowing Jesus is surrendering your life to him. It is letting him work in and through you so you become imitators of him and walk in love with one another. Let's pray. God, you meet each of us exactly where we are. You don't condemn us for where we are. You're not afraid of where we are. You are a loving God. 
who wants us to know you intimately and deeply. Thank you for that, God. I pray that we would take a step towards you, whether it is in how we speak, how we work, what do we do with our emotions, or how we respond to you, Father, and we would let your Holy Spirit come over us and renew us. God, may we be a people who says, go to work. I am yours, and I give you my life. In your name we pray. Amen.